The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Here's Jota. Alexander-Arnold's pass and Jota goes on. And he's dangerous. And he scores. Diogo Jota. A Diogo double and so, so close to silverware now for Liverpool. They reached the League Cup final for the first time, well, in a while. And it's a chance to win it for a record ninth time at Anfield South. Can't wait. All Reds exactly the same. I'm Steve Hollisall. This is the Red Agenda with James Pearce and Kiever O'Neill. And a return to Wembley is now on the cards. It's been too long since Liverpool have been there, James. Yeah, six six long years, isn't it, Steve? Since um, Klopp's first season, when they suffered that, that agony of losing on, on penalties to, to Manchester City. You know, so much has happened since. So many great things, but you know no, nothing to write home about in either of the domestic cups, and that's why I think it is significant. You know, ten years next month, which is scary to think since Kenny Dalglish's side, you know, lifted the League Cup, and now Jordan Henderson just ninety minutes away from following in in Stephen Foot, uh, Gerrard's footsteps on that front as well. So th- thoroughly deserved. I thought, um, you know, it was down in the dumps. I think everyone was after the first leg because it was. You know, it, it felt like a squandered opportunity, of course, having failed to make their numerical advantage count for so long after Xhaka's red card. But you know, I think, as we said then, it was it was very much a 50-50 you know, scenario. And I think, if anything, as Pep Linders touched upon in the press conference before the game, I think, if anything, the fact that they felt like they'd been written off probably gave them even extra motivation going into that second leg at the Emirates. And also, it, it suited Liverpool, the fact that Arsenal had to come out and play a bit more at home than they did at Anfield. A very different dynamic to the game. And I thought after weathering a, a tricky opening 10-15 minutes, we, we saw the absolute best of Liverpool from there on in. You wonder how seriously Liverpool take the competition. But I was watching Jürgen afterwards, um, Kiva, and he said, we desperately wanted to go to the final. I think that sort of mirrored what was in all supporters' heads as well. Yeah, um, even Thiago, I know he was at the Emirates with his little lad and he put up a picture saying we're going to Wembley. Everyone wants to go to Wembley, as we've been saying for weeks now on the podcast and obviously it just hasn't fell Liverpool's way in the right way in the past few years. But now, you know, Wembley's there and I think everyone's getting excited about it. I mean, just looking at social media last night, uh, different fans posts, everyone's up for it and you know, it's a day out at Wembley, it's a chance to win a cup. Everyone wants that for the club, don't they? So um, it's going to be really exciting. And obviously, you know, after that first leg, it kind of, like James mentioned there, it, it almost felt like Arsenal had won that, even though it was nil-nil. I mean, their fans were singing about Wembley in the away end at Anfield. And, you know, Liverpool players sort of walked off the pitch a bit, sort of with their heads down a little bit. The fans felt the same, all quickly exited the ground. It didn't feel like... It probably felt to that away end last night. You know, Diogo Jota magic, Trent Alexander-Arnold magic, Curtis Jones looking like he's played for Liverpool for 15 years again. Just a really perfect night in what has been, you know, an interesting few weeks. The away end looked absolutely brilliant, James. You were right next to it in the, in the press area. And so much for the way end to celebrate. The, the Diogo show, let's start with that, though. That's what you've written on um, today. I mean, we know how clinical he can be, but I think perhaps 
the thing is him doing it in big moments on big occasions and there he was last night grasping this game by the neck yeah I think on a on a huge night like that you look to for heroes to emerge don't you and um you know in the absence of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane Diogo Jota you know really stepped up and and delivered his record for Liverpool is extraordinary when you know I think I think he's only started what I think it's 41 games and he's he's He's, he's got 27 goals in, in total now. He has been an absolute revelation. And as, as you say, Steve, a lot, so many of those goals have been really important ones as well. And, and I think what was different for me last night was you know, when, when you look at where he scored a lot of his goals, I was watching them back last night. It, it, this season, he's been a real kind of poacher. You know, he gets between the posts. He reads the game well. He, he gets himself into you know, dangerous positions. And I think you know four of his what twelve goals before last night have been kind of close range headers, and most of the others kind of around the penalty area. But those two last night, you know, were were on a whole different level. I mean, the new song from the from the Liverpool fans says he's he's better than Figo, and um, <laughs> I, I'd say that was he reminded me of absolute peak Robbie Fowler at the Emirates on on Thursday night because um, just that kind of swagger in terms of you know the pace, the strength. The confidence and, and like the nonchalance as well to to do what he did because as good as that team move was for the first goal and I think it was fourteen seconds between Keller having the ball at his feet and and Jota scoring and I think it was everything that Klopp loves to see from Liverpool in terms of the bravery to beat the press with Matip to Firmino the flick Trent you know really intelligent to find space and then Jota you know running at the Arsenal backline but he, he had no right to score from there. And OK, it wasn't the most you know, blistering of finishes, but he placed it well enough to, to outfox Ramsdale. He looked like he was, he was a bit unsighted. And then you know, the second one, the calibre of the delivery from Trent. And then it, but again, so much to do to take that on his chest, you know, hold off Ben White, who had, a, who had a torrid night up against Jota, which um, I think many, would, uh, many wouldn't have had too much sympathy for Ben White after he was pictured laughing at Minamino after his miss in the first leg at Anfield. So, um, yeah, to hold off Ben White like that and to clip the ball beyond Ramsdale, just two goals of the absolute highest quality. And, um, yeah, quite fitting that he's he's got a new song from his, his adoring public to, to match the occasion. Which went on and on and on last night and sounded brilliant. Um, determined, aggressive... Confident. I, ju- I just wonder whether he felt before the game that he was actually taking the mantle of responsibility on his shoulders in the absence of of Mo and, and Sadio Kiva. I think he's doing that anyway, and has been since he joined Liverpool. Not even obviously in their absence, but doing it alongside them. I think you know, obviously Firmino and Minamino at, at this time will be feeling like the you know they need to make a good impression because obviously you know the two key figures at Liverpool are, are not around at the minute, so. Yeah, he definitely wore the sort of energy that he was the main man last night, definitely for that second goal, even for the first, which was, you know, a lot to do and quite a lucky sort of finish, but just you'll take any and that's the kind of player he is. You will score any kind of goal. And he's had some incredible misses this season as well. And you think if he would have slotted some of those in, what would his goal tally be now? But what was the stat? He's played at the Emirates twice and scored four goals. I think that was it. What I read last night and... I think that's more than any Liverpool player's ever scored at the Emirates. So certainly a ground he likes, and you know he's the type of player that you feel will like quite a few away grounds. He just seems that kind of 
that kind of play and I was sad for him because his celebration was amazing after that second goal and I mean can we just take a second to think about that touch on his chest was just to bring the ball down like Trent's pass was incredible but to bring the ball down in the way he did was just phenomenal and then he celebrates with he ce- always celebrates with real like he just riles up opposition fans and I think Liverpool fans <laughs> really admire that you know he'll stick his tongue out or like you know I think he got his ear didn't he and was sort of like you know you're doing that and then obviously offside and then it comes through and it was like oh because of there and I'm just glad the goal stood because it was just marvellous do you know what he seemed to know didn't he that it wasn't offside I, th- I think there was an awful lot of doubt I was watching on the telly I thought it was offside but he he seemed straight away James to to be adamant that he'd scored that goal correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that was based on the fact that he was convinced he had timed his run perfectly. I must admit that when I saw it in real time, because it was just in front of us in the stadium, I thought he was on. Because I thought, I thought although you could see he was just ahead of the defender, that was, I think it was Ben White, wasn't it? It was close to him. I think it was Gabriel, much closer to the assistant, who looked like he was playing him on. And you're right, you know, as soon as he realised the flag had gone up, he was wagging his finger at the assistant, saying, no, 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 you, you know, you've got that wrong. And um, it was a poor decision from the assistant. And as Kiva said, it, it was a shame because it, it does kill slightly that euphoric moment after, after scoring. But to be fair, they still, they still had a decent go with the celebrations. It, it wasn't exactly low-key, was it? He still charged off in the direction of the away end and, and got mobbed by the rest of them because, of course, that was the moment when... When Liverpool knew they were they were going to Wembley, but I thought even before that, you know, Liverpool, you know, we talked a few weeks ago, didn't we, about game management, and you know, I think it was on probably on the back of throwing away that lead at Chelsea, and how you know Liverpool seemed to have lost that art a bit of just being more stable and being able to to hold on to leads and and not take stupid risks and not leave themselves exposed, and you know, I I think. We have seen an improvement on that front this month. I think, what is that, three clean sheets in a row? And that stability was always going to be crucial without Salamane and, and Keita. And even this month in general, I think, you know, of course the alarm bells were ringing after the first leg at Anfield, but the response to that has been so impressive against Brentford and now in the second leg that you go, well, hang on, actually, you know, if Liverpool go and beat Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park on Sunday, then, you know, they will have advanced in both domestic cups, including booking themselves a final at Wembley, and picked up maxim, maximum Premier League points during a period when probably the doom and gloom merchants were saying that the wheels were going to absolutely come off. And um, yeah, before we know it, you know, Salah Mane will be back, and and hopefully, you know, they'll be returning to a squad that's that's buoyant and still competing on all fronts. Yeah, it looks all right at the moment, doesn't it? Kiva, have you got your um, your head around the the Jota song yet? I was um, meant to go to the game last night. I was trying to get a ticket last minute because I was in London filming a video, which I think Liverpool fans will like to see with Tifo. Um, if they're interested in football manager in Liverpool, that is. So keep an eye out for that. Um, but yeah, so I was a bit gutted not to make it. And then obviously I've been watching videos going, what are they singing? Uh, yeah, and sort of getting in and <laughs> looking at people's replies to tweets. And I'm like, Figo, uh Someone else, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm getting in, I'm getting in. You've yeah. probably got the lyrics now, have you, Steve? No, I haven't got it. I asked James to sing it to me before we started because I couldn't quite <laughs> get it. I could. You don't want to hear James's version of it, but if you, if you want the lyrics, they're actually on his piece. So get onto the Athletic and have a look at it there. Keeper, let's go to Trent. You, you spoke with him 
recently about his role within the side, did an in-depth interview with, with the guys. I still can't believe he's so young. I mean, his deliveries are just out of this world. You, you could say Jota was man of the match. You could easily say Trent was. I mean, some of his play is just unbelievable at the moment. When he has a night like that, you're just thinking there's not a better passer of the ball. There's not a better right back than him. He's just incredible and the first leg he was poor and he'd probably say that himself you know I don't think he was he played well at all in that and then last night he just puts on a, a passing clinic you know I felt I felt he defended well as well because um, you know Arsenal have, have a lot of attack and threat going forward but he, he dealt with that well and he was more central than I've noticed in any game and you know this is something I talked about with him and um, how it works and it's really interesting and the the piece, My Game and My Words by Trent Alexander-Arnold is free to read and I feel like it gave me a whole other understanding of how Liverpool play, how Trent plays, so I definitely recommend anyone to read it. I mean, he's just fascinating to listen to when he talks. You ask him a question about, you know, his passing technique or something else and he, you know, he, he really gave like these really full, in-depth sorts of answers, which I was just sort of blown away by just like a real nerd just listening going oh this is crazy like just like the triangles Liverpool play and that kind of stuff like we we know about that but the way he was sort of explaining it just made it like really easy to understand and now I can't help but look for it when I watch Liverpool play speaking about trends I I read an Opta stat this morning it says um, I think he's assisted 14 times now this season and no other player has more than 10 what a player you watch him and just you're just like absolutely mesmerised by him, give him the ball, let him do whatever he wants. He pretended afterwards not to know the, the stat. Just going back to the interview, and it, it's an absolutely brilliant interview, so make sure you you read it out there. Let's, let's listen to a little clip of, of Trent in conversation with Kiever, and Kiever asked him about maybe moving more centrally, more often in the game, and where that's come from. It always comes from the manager. He sets up a system to allow the players to move and fluidity and to, to help the team create things and, and, and win games to be honest so he's allowed me to, to have that freedom to drift inside a little bit more and it, it helps I think in both offensively and defensively you know we lose the ball there's an extra number in, in the middle of the park to, to go and win it back and obviously when I'm getting on the ball I'm in more dangerous areas than, than just standing out wide but you know it's about having an understanding with the, the players you're playing with there's been a lot of focus this season on, on the two triangles um, out wide you know you have the, the eight the full-backs and the wingers on each side. And it's about making sure that, you know, at all times there should be someone occupying the width, someone kind of high up in the last line and someone in like a half space like in a, in a midfield eight. And, it, you know, the manager says he, it's not too important who it is, just as long as we're occupying them three spaces, then that flexibility, can you can do what you want. Just make sure that there's always someone in, in those positions. And that's why at times you'll see me in between their centre back and their full back, making making channel runs and things like that, because like the number eight's dropped into the right back position and Mo's out wide, and there's just that flexibility of and just an understanding of, of movements and, and and patterns. Fascinating stuff from Trent Alexander Arnold, uh, Kiever in conversation with it, and check it out on the Athletic um, right now. I've got to say, and you, and you mentioned it, Kiever, but James, your, your thoughts defensively? Anyone rarely got by him in that game last night. I mean, there's a lot of focus on Trent going forward, but he was absolutely tight as they come in terms of his defensive role as well. Yeah, yeah, he really was. And I, and I think 
I, I always think he's very unfairly criticised at times about the defensive side of his game. I think, I, I don't know, it, it just seems to be kind of an obsession with, with some to always, you know, even with someone as incredible as Trent, to trying to pick holes and, and trying to focus on what he can't do rather than what he can do. And um, and I also think a lot of the, the kind of noise around that discussion completely ignores what he's asked to do by Klopp in this team and in this system. Like when people say, well, look at the amount of room he's left in behind him. And it's like, well, you know, why do you think he's doing that? It's because that is the game plan. That is, you know, Klopp and Linders talk about, you know, it's it's a high risk, high reward you know, style of football that Liverpool play. You know, he, he is supposed to be that high up the pitch. And it is fascinating the way that his role has evolved. And, you know, people, you know, obviously there was that never-ending discussion over whether he would be moved from right back to centre midfield. And, you know, it, I don't think that's going to happen officially, but you can see it almost as unofficially happened at times in games with the way that they've tweaked his role where he is spending a lot more time in central areas. And that first goal last night was the... The perfect example, the fact that during a counter-attack, he was, what, 10, 15 yards ahead of Roberto Firmino. And, you know, he wasn't out on the right wing. He'd cut inside, you know, 20 metres off the right wing and, and had found a, a really clever pocket of space between the lines that he was able to hurt Arsenal with. So, but, yeah, as good as he was going forward and, you know, the deliveries into the box from him were unbelievable. And there was, there was one, wasn't there, I think, that just evaded um, Cade Gordon that was crying out just for, I think it was Minamino was, was around there as well, that could easily have had a hat-trick of assists last night. But you're right, going the other way, I thought he gave absolutely nothing away. And on the other side as well, I think it would be wrong to overlook Andy Robertson because I thought I thought both fullbacks were as poor as I've seen them for a long, long time in the first leg, but both back to their crazy high standards at the Emirates, I thought. Because Saka is as good a a young player, as you'll see in the Premier League. And I thought he caused Liverpool a lot of issues um, when they've come up against him previously. But, um, yeah, Robertson did a fantastic job on him. And it was, um, you know, a similar story defensively from Trent on the other side. Trent, a young player, but when you were talking to him, Key, would you get the sense it's a, it's an old head, a mature head in a young body? Yeah, I think because he's been, you know, there's been a spotlight on him from such a young age. He's quickly got the sort of grips with, how to be interviewed, I guess, and how to answer questions and that kind of thing. He's got a real a wisdom there, which is, yeah, well beyond his years. And definitely you see it on and off the pitch, I think. Watching him last night, you'd, I think someone replied to my tweet saying he, he's better a better passer than Palo. And, you know, who'd be to argue for that? Like, you, he's just... The way he passes the ball is ridiculous. Um and fascinating to watch as well because he shouldn't shouldn't really be doing that, but he is, and yeah, incredible uh, to see as always. They were making these big comparisons last night, saying if you couldn't see the top half of his body, you think it was David Beckham kicking the football. You, you sort of get the sense of what they were saying on the Sky analysis last night. The great thing about the Carabao Cup has been this opportunity to see all the youngsters as well, James, on the on the passage to Wembley and the role they've played. So whether it be Tyler Morton whether it be Connor Bradley or Cade Gordon given a start there at the Emirates. I mean, this is this is sensational stuff for Liverpool's academy players. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that that's been one of the features of the season so far, isn't it? The way in which we've seen more young players emerge and, and most importantly, grasp the opportunities they've been given because, um, 
it's still down to them. You know, it was, yes, they're very fortunate to have a manager and a staff that want to give chances to youth players, but you still have to be good enough and you still have to have the right mentality and the right temperament to, to be able to step up. Because the golf is huge when you watch under-23s football and then you watch the first team. But, um, yeah, a massive show of faith from Klopp in Cade Gordon. And, who, yeah, should, I, who should have scored, shouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, similar, wasn't it, to last weekend? He should have probably had his first Premier League goal, shouldn't he, when he came off the bench against Brentford. You know, he one-on-one with the keeper. You know, again, last night, he'd be, he'd be kicking himself because, um, you know, again, that was another example going back to how good Jota was. I mean, talk about creating something out of nothing, the way... He absolutely destroyed Ben White down that left-hand side. And then where a lot of players would have just fired it across the area, Jota, you know, looked, got his head up, was so composed and picked Cade Gordon out. And it was it was a real shame that he couldn't convert from, what was it, about 9, 10 yards out. But th- there's so much to admire about Cade Gordon. You know, when you think, you know, just 17, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't look that young to me in terms of he handles himself physically, I love the way that he always wants the ball. He's always looking to try and make make things happen. And it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Klopp handles it going forward now in terms of, you know, obviously with Salah and Mane coming back in a, in a couple of weeks, you know, Cade Gordon's probably going to find it more difficult to get minutes. But you've got, you've got that FA Cup tie with Cardiff on the horizon. I'm, I'm sure that'll be another chance for people like him and, and Tyler Morton. And, and the other thing that, that struck me last night, Steve, was just how ridiculously lucky Liverpool are at the moment to have as good a backup keeper as I can ever remember them having. You know, obviously now it, it wasn't, didn't look remotely a risk, did it? But it was, I think probably some eyebrows were raised before the game in terms of, hang on a minute, this is a semi-final second leg and you're, you're leaving out a guy who's arguably the best goalkeeper in world football. Yet Klopp had stuck to his guns and said, well, no, you know, Alisson needed a game in the first leg because Liverpool, he hadn't played for a couple of weeks because of COVID. But this is... Quivin Kelleher's competition and again you know he is he is just so so good isn't he in terms of the development in Kelleher in the last 12-18 months has been you know so so impressive to the point now where you know the biggest compliment you could pay him is Liverpool don't miss Alisson when he when he's not there. Is there a conversation for who has the gloves for the final or is it just obvious does it go back to the number one? I think you have to play Kelleher I honestly do you know, the Klopp quote was, wasn't it? This is Quivine's competition. And I just think if you only played Alisson... You know, Alisson had never played in the League Cup, had he, before the first leg of the semi. And, and I completely understood why he was thrown in for that one, because, as we said, because of COVID and having not played for a few weeks. But I'd play Kelleher at Wembley. I think he's at such a level that I think you have to, you have to reward him for the form he's shown and the, the contribution he's made. Because... You know, I think if you if you don't ensure he gets enough football, then Liverpool will struggle to keep hold of him because he's too good to be a number two for too long. I, do, I think he'll play Allison, but I think at the same time there will be a you know that'll be a big decision for Klopp to make because usually you naturally play your better goalkeeper in a final because you want to win it. But then I don't think any eyebrows will be raised at all if Kelleher played at Wembley. Absolutely zero. I think Liverpool fans have a confidence in him. And this is the best compliment you can pay him, is that when his name's on the team sheet, there's not a worry. There's not a, like, you know, a, a spike in tweets on uh, on Twitter, just being like, oh, my God, Keller, it's positive. Everything's positive. He was trending last night positively. 
that save from Lacazette's free kick just to get a little touch to it. He's very calm, you know, the way he just sort of swishes his hair. It's kind of similar to Alisson. It's just very sort of in the school of, of Alison Becker, um, Alison Becker's goalkeeping. And yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't shock me to see him start. And it, it would be great for him to start in the final against Chelsea. I feel like he deserves it, definitely. And like James mentioned before, there is such a gulf in class between under-23s and Premier League, you know, football. And I do think back to sort of watching Kelleher at the, at the academy and, you know, seeing him concede plenty of goals and sort of, it's really difficult to sort of, Sometimes you just spot a player and you think, well, this is a player. I think goalkeepers at that age, it's really difficult. You know, he would pull off incredible saves and stuff. But it's hard to sort of notice them and then put him into Liverpool's team and you notice them straight away, um, which I find really interesting. You know, there's probably a lot of our Irish listeners that are like, he starts in the final. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn. So it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So February the 27th, Chelsea the opposition. Is it too early, James, to say who is the marginal favourite on this? Would it depend on maybe injuries in this month, form in, in February, if you had to call it now? What would you say? Well, I think if you were calling it now, I'd definitely have Liverpool as favourites. I think Chelsea have been very unimpressive recently. You look at their run of results, you know, they, they have lost their way. I thought, you know, they, they showed almost zero ambition whatsoever against... Manchester City, they, you know, they, they obviously dropped points again against Brighton the other night. You know, Thomas Tuchel has done an awful lot of moaning. Yes, they've had some issues like most you know, clubs have with injuries and with COVID and everything else. But I've always thought for all the moaning that Tuchel has done, when you actually look at their bench every single game, I always, whenever he has a moan, I'll have a look at the thing and say, hang on a minute. You know, <laughs> you know he costs 50 million, he costs 60 million, he costs 40 million. Like... I'm not having that, like, you know, poor old Chelsea, you know, down to the absolute bare bones. So, um, as you said, it's still a month away, over a month away. So, you know, fortunes can change so so fast in football. But, you know, it is, it's a mouth-watering final. You know, two clubs that have won the, the Champions League in, in recent years. Of course, two clubs with a, a lot of history in terms of certainly in the modern era of the Premier League, you know, going back to... You know, obviously, when Abramovich first bought Chelsea, and you know those titanic tussles with Mourinho and Benitez at the helm, and no love lost, and but you know, certainly between the sets of players and trying to coax Steven Gerrard away, and right down to you know obviously since then Mo Salah slipping through their grasp, and then him 
you know, absolutely lighting the world up since he's since he's moved on from Chelsea, and you had the Torres saga obviously before that. So, yeah, we're not short of narratives, are we, going into a final like that? And it's just it's just great for Liverpool to be part of because I've always thought with the you know the Carabao Cup is the fourth in the list of priorities. I don't think now Liverpool are there, we can suddenly say anything different. But it's one of those competitions that I've always thought you don't really care about in the early rounds, but when teams get to the semis and inevitably Liverpool haven't been there in recent years, you're kind of kicking yourself thinking, well, I wish that was Liverpool. And then when you sit down and watch the final, you're thinking, I wish that was Liverpool because time goes so fast. Like, I can't believe that was six years ago that Liverpool were in that League Cup final. I can't believe it was 10 years ago since since they won it. You know, you would have to go back to 2006 for the last time they won the FA Cup. And yes, the you know those domestic cups, I think, have lost some of their sparkle with the money and the profile and the prestige of the Premier League and the Champions League. But, you know, winning these other trophies, they, they enhance your legacy and your legendary status, which, you know, this manager and this group of players already have to a large degree. But um, I only see positive things coming out of it because I think if Liverpool go on and win the final, then, you know, I, th- I think that provides the, the perfect springboard to, to potentially go on and, you know, if not win the Champions League, go an awful long way in that as well. Can't beat a final. Yeah, 2012 felt massive, Kiva, when Liverpool beat Cardiff. Yeah, and the fashion that he did it as well. That was, uh, yeah, I remember it well. And obviously Kenny was back and there was a good vibe and obviously Liverpool reached the FA Cup final then because they got into that sort of, you know, cup football habit, which is a great habit to get in this early in the season. Like James says, when you watch it, you kind of do think, oh, God, why aren't Liverpool there playing at Wembley? I mean, I don't know if everyone agrees with this, but isn't the League Cup the new Champions League anyway? I've never been as excited about a cup in a long time. And I do feel it's because Liverpool are actually, you know, in the final now. They were in the semi-finals. But after that Leicester game, just something clicked, didn't it? I was like, yeah, this is fun. Good fun. And obviously it's, like, out the way early. And I don't know, there's... There's more of a magic of the League Cup than, than the FA Cup, I think, sometimes. It warms the heart. Right, let's let's just finish on a, on a word about Peter Robinson, a man who, who oversaw numerous League Cup wins. And, of course, sadly, we've lost him. One of, the, one of the most important figures in Liverpool's history, James, it's hard to deny that. Joined in 1965, spent 35 years shaping the club, oversaw the recruitment of some of the finest players ever and, sadly, has passed away. Yeah, really sad news this week, Steve, on, on Peter Robinson. Yeah, he, um, as was his desire, a lot of his best work for Liverpool went under the radar because he, he never craved the spotlight. Um, but whenever you speak to to the players of, you know, who spanned, you know, what was it, 35 years of remarkable service and the staff that he worked with, you know, n- never heard anyone say a single negative word about him. He was one of the most highly respected administrators I think English football has ever seen. You know, he was obviously club secretary initially, but that probably does him a disservice in terms of club secretary at a time when, you know, that was a that was effectively you know running running the club day to day when you know, the, the the club had such a small staff and he was an innovator, wasn't he? With you know right down to you know that first sponsorship sponsorship deal with Hitachi, you know, very in keeping with the supporters and you know in the way in which he helped guide the club through. The aftermath of, of Hillsborough, you know, you know, he was obviously integral to the decision to opening the, the doors of Anfield and allowing fans to pay their respects on the cop and you know with the floral tributes in the days that followed, you know, that day in April '89 and you know incredible ability to to modernise and move with the times and 
you know, to, to think that he spanned right from, you know, the the relatively early days of Bill Shankly right through to appointing Gerard Houllier before retiring in 2000. Yeah, just a, a very special man who um, will be greatly missed and obviously thoughts with all his, his family and friends at this time. An absolute uh, gentleman who, who scared the life out of me when I started as a commentator because myself and Saint, I think it was 1997 or 98, we were sat, sat in our seats and just done my first game. He was two seats away from us. And afterwards he came over and said, do you have to shout so loudly during the game? <laughs> uh, but what a nice man and, and sadly lost Peter Robinson. Uh, thanks so much to Kiva and of course uh, James. Make sure you read Kiva's piece with Trent. Absolutely superb. Obviously the interview... Uh, there's a little clip you heard on that in the podcast and obviously James has done stuff on Diogo and much more and of course we've got a final to look forward to thanks for listening to the Red Agenda we return after the Palace game see you then <laughs>